0: Hi, I'm Bill Gaither and welcome to More Than The Music, a podcast where you can join me for conversations with some of the most interesting people I know. Each episode features a special guest who has inspired me in some way during my 50 years in the music industry. You'll meet incredible artists, writers and comedians, sports figures and other folks I'm grateful to call my friends. Join me now for this week's episode of More Than The Music. It's going to be good. Someone has said that uh, you are who you hang with. And if that is the case, I hang with a lot of different kinds of folks who come from all different walks of life. Teachers, preachers, school administrators, business leaders, politicians. Uh, And in this case... Uh, the first person on uh, on this series is going to be from law enforcement. And I'm sure somebody on the outside will say, Gaither, what in the world are you doing hanging around uh, law enforcement folks? Rodney Cummings is the county prosecutor in Madison County in Indiana. Rodney, you've been prosecutor for how long?
1: Uh, this is my sixth term bill 20 this is my end finishing my 21st year as the elected prosecutor and uh, for you who don't know Rodney
0: uh, he's a pretty popular prosecutor mainly because they all say when it comes to justice he's very very fair in fact somebody said I hope his mom doesn't get in trouble because he's not going to give her much of a break but uh, getting to know Rodney has been interesting, uh, for me especially, uh,
1: your background. You are a Madison County native, right? I was born in Indianapolis. My uh, my mother was from Missouri around uh, Cape Girardeau, Fornfeld area. She came here uh, as a teenager, ran away from home, and, and came to Anderson and... Uh, met the guy who raised me, and so I've spent most of my life here. But I've lived in uh, Arizona. I lived in California a couple of different times. Went to Las Vegas High School uh, mm-hmm. for a brief period of time, but I got bounced in f- back and forth as a kid in for- foster homes, orphans' homes, and that kind of thing. But I spent most of my life in Anderson, Indiana. And I've heard this
0: story uh, several times. Basically, it was a pretty tough
1: Uh, a childhood to grow up in, right? Probably as tough as anyone you're going to run across, Mm -hmm. Bill. My mother was a drug addict and a prostitute who ran away from home as a 15-year-old. She was getting abused sexually by her father. At least that's what she said. She uh, met some guys in a band whose next gig was in Anderson. She came here with them. She ended up pregnant, and uh, they left town without her. And She met a guy who was home on leave from the Army, and I think she was kind of his party girl. Uh, She persuaded him to marry her because she didn't have the money to pay the expenses of the birth. So I was born at Fort Harrison in Mm -hmm. Indianapolis. But then I don't know if there was an annulment or a divorce, but never knew who my biological father was. And uh, the guy, uh, I met that guy many years later. thought maybe he was, but he wasn't. Uh, He lives in Pendleton, which is uh, just outside of Anderson. So I never, I don't know who my biological father is, and the, the man she met uh, after she came to Anderson is the guy who raised me, but he wasn't my biological father. Mm-hmm. And as a, at a young age, uh, one of the first memories I have of my mother is uh, we were at an Air... My dad was in the Air Force in Michigan near uh, a base that was near Lake St. Clair in Michigan. She ran off with some guy. He got... A hardship discharge because he couldn't do his job and take care of three babies. My mother had four children by four different men, three before she was 20, which was kind of unusual in the 50s. That didn't happen. Uh, And then we came back to Anderson. Uh, We were put in a foster home in Anderson. She came back to town. The welfare department gave her custody of us. And we took a bus to California because I guess that's where the streets were paved with gold. Everybody was moving west in those days. Mm. And we were, I believe we were in Riverside. uh, Might have been San Bernardino. And uh, she got off the bus. My mother was a pretty attractive woman before the drugs kind of took over her body. And uh, we went into a little restaurant. I was three. Brother was two. And uh, another brother that was an infant met a guy. He bought us a meal. We went to a motel, uh, spent the night. The next day, she left with that guy and left us in the motel. The police came and picked us up and took us to uh, an orphan's home. Not a foster home, an orphan's home, those big old uh, Oliver Twist kind of places. (laughs) And that's where I remember my first, uh, as my first Christmas was in that facility.
0: In life in Anderson, when you were back here as a teenager, was
1: pretty tough because you get you get hungry from time to time. What to mm. eat, right? <laughs> I did. You know, I would, somehow Bill. I'm uh, between you know going to school and being moved back and forth between the my parents and and my mother running off with different men at different times. And uh, I went to high. I was in high school at, in Anderson in Las Vegas High School and one in California and came back here and somehow I managed to graduate from high school. I don't know how. I just kept mm. going to school and they gave me a diploma. <laughs> but I was the only person in my family that graduated from high school. None of my siblings, my parents. Uh, and I, I, I wasn't a star performer. I think I was, uh, I have above average intelligence. I just wasn't well-educated. Absolutely. And um, I finished, I graduated from Madison High School in 1973, 580 in a class of 598. Uh, I thought I was, made it now. I graduated from high school. There's, you know, the doors were going to open for, it didn't work out that way. And uh in those days general motors had a huge uh influence in anderson and people got jobs you graduate from high school you just go to the factory well the first year that didn't happen was 1973 when when i graduated i didn't have a job my dad left town said hey you're 18 you're on your own because that's what his parents told him when he was 18. that's what 18 year olds did yeah and i couldn't get a job i had nowhere to live Uh, I started breaking into houses uh, to get money to live on and got arrested by the police and spent some time in jail. I got convicted of a felony. And uh, the day I got out of jail, I didn't have any place to live. I walked into a police athletically that had just opened in uh, Anderson in a tough part of town to try to Uh, for the police officers to try to have some contact and influence with some at-risk youth. With kids on the street. That's exactly right. And and helping in direction. Yeah. And and that's when you started boxing. It is. They had a boxing gym in that facility. And I started, you know, to me, uh, you know, I was... Underdeveloped. I, I didn't mature physically until I was in my early 20s. I was always undersized. And when you're poor, when you were poor in Anderson in those days, it was really tough because the factories, people, everybody had jobs in the factory. Everybody had money. It's not, it's not hard being poor if everybody's poor. It's hard to be poor when nobody else is poor. <laughs> and you get made fun of and you get mistreated and people make fun of the way you dress. And, uh, yeah, I was put down a lot as a child. And... So I started boxing because that was something that I thought, you know, I could earn some respect. I'm sure you had to do weightlifting to to build up your upper body? A little bit. I do, you know, fighters don't lift weights that much, Bill. You do lots of push ups and set ups and, and pull ups, but yeah. you hitting the heavy bag a lot. I mean, I look at photos of me when I was younger, and one of my, one of the, because I've got, my uh, my jackets and trophies for my championships in my office, yes. and one of my deputies once said, look at the guns on you, man. I, I didn't <laughs> even remember. Ah, they are pretty big, aren't they? But, <laughs> but it's just hitting the heavy bag and training. You train for six hours a day or so. You get yeah. your body re- reacts to that. And the boxing was the... Uh was the door that opened up the outside world for you, right? Well, it was, Bill. I mean, when I first moved into the PAL club, I was sleeping on a floor in the office. I didn't have anywhere to live, didn't have a house, and they let me sleep on the floor. Then they got a roll-away bed for me and eventually fixed up a room, but boxing gave me purpose, and I started training, I started fighting, I started getting better, and for the first time I thought something positive was going on in my life. I had a chance to do something special and the police officers were uh all invested in my life and trying to help me find a way to get to a better place. Um and my my confidence began to grow. I wasn't you know actually I got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder over the years, you know. <laughs> that didn't hurt. Yeah, well Bill I thought I thought I was going to win a world championship, and i, I kind of came close. I didn't win those fights, but one of the ways I was going to win is fighting everybody in the world, one person at a time. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had it was kind of when you've been put down and, and made to feel less than others. Sometimes that's a reaction, you know, and you you come from tough places, and fighting is the way you settle things, you know. And I knew that was a an environment I was going to have a lot of success in with most people on the street, but then. You know, and I started training and working hard. Uh, I got a scholarship from the Indiana Golden Gloves to go to college. Uh, I got jobs in the summer and uh, was still living at the Powell Club, so I didn't have really any expenses to speak of. So I bought an old pickup truck. And I was driving back. What and a forth. story! What a story! <laughs> I was driving back and forth, commuting to Ball State University, which is about twenty miles from Anderson yeah. in Muncie. So I was going to school every day, training at night, fighting somewhere about every weekend, and uh, I just kept getting better and better as a fighter. And I won four Indiana state championships. I was the Indiana AU outstanding amateur athlete in the sport of boxing. Uh, I've, I've fought the top fighters in the country, some in the world. I fought. At least one world champion, maybe two, and uh, did did well against one, not so well against the other. I fought uh, a guy named uh, Wilfred Sipion at the at the pit in Albuquerque at the National Golden Gloves Championship. I've been there, and uh, I bet you have, Bill. Yeah, we, <laughs> we sang at the pit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a big that's a big venue. Yeah, uh-huh. i won two fights. My first uh, national tournament, I won two fights, and now I'm fighting uh, uh, a champion from Texas who was. Uh, pretty intimidating figure, you know, for a guy who just starting to make it on the national scene. He he looked like Joe Frazier, you know. I mean, and and one of my friends <laughs> from Indiana was ranked number three in the country, and he was. He won actually he won three fights and he comes into my room. I, I see the draw. There's eight of us left fighting for the national championship and there's two guys I didn't want to fight. It was I looked I was watching him, a guy from Detroit named Nathaniel Akbar and then <laughs> Wilfred Sipion from Texas. I man, they were killing those guys they were fighting. So <laughs> I go, the rest of them I'm okay. So I come in, I get the guy from Texas. <laughs> so my friend who's ranked number three in the country goes Boy, come on, get out of bed. We got to go down to the pool. And I go, why are we going to the pool? He goes, that guy from Texas telling everybody he's going to knock you out. We got to go talk to him. You know, <laughs> he used more street language than that, Bill. <laughs> and uh, I said, man, I can't. I, I'm not. I can't beat that guy. He goes, what are you talking about? I saw that guy fight, man. I can't beat that guy. Yeah. He goes, well, let's look him up. So we we're looking up his rankings. I got the world rankings in the in a magazine, and uh, we looked it up. He was ranked number two in the world <laughs> behind a guy from cuba was number one he was number two he looked Thanks at me and he goes let's still go down and talk to him okay <laughs> so i did not win that fight bill i got uh, i lost pretty easily i got he stopped me in the first round with a body shot and yeah. uh, when i look back on it one of the most disappointing fights that i had because you can't win if you don't believe you can win you know sure. I, I was beaten before i walked in the ring in that fight and but it was a good experience for me. My first trip to the Nationals was a good experience for me. But I remember when I came back to town, because we were getting all kinds of publicity. One of my teammates fought the Olympic silver medalist, and we were getting lots of publicity locally. And, but all my friends, and Anderson was like, Rodney, how did you lose? Nobody can beat you. I go, you don't understand how good these guys are. <laughs> so we were watching television because I, I won that tournament. I won the, the Indiana AAU, fought in the National AAU Championships. And this guy that beat me won the National Golden Gloves, won the National AAU Championship, and then represented the United States in the World Amateur Championships. So we were watching TV, and here comes the guy I fought. And I go, I go. You want to know who beat me? That guy right there. You know, they go, wow, he's, he's great. I go, that's what I've been trying to tell you guys. <laughs> you know? so,
0: so let's fast forward here. Uh, uh, boxing was your ticket out of this pretty tough world uh, for kids. So now you're in college yeah. and uh, evidently doing pretty well. Uh, uh, who directed you into law?
1: Well, the police officers at the PAL club had the idea that I should become a police officer. So yeah. I applied to the Anderson Police Department and I got rejected because I had a felony conviction from mm-hmm. the burglary and breaking into those houses. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? And they just, they learned that if I got a pardon from the governor, then I could be a police officer. So we went through this long process of getting letters of recommendation from community leaders and people that knew me. And a lot of people in Anderson knew me very well because of all the boxing, they were coming to a lot of my fights. and. Uh, we applied to get a pardon from the governor, and I had a meeting at the governor's clemency commission uh, at the Indiana State House. Mm-hmm. Well, it was kind of uh, funny because it was the day after uh, the National Golden Gloves Championship. I had been eliminated the night before because I was I, that was 1979. I won the Indiana Golden Gloves. I won four Indiana State Championships, but I won the. Uh, Open division uh, middleweight championship in 78 and 79 and the AAU championship in 78. So I'm representing Indiana in the National Golden Gloves that were at the convention center in Indianapolis that year. And I had two fights uh, the night before and I had two black eyes because I had lost to the champion from Washington DC, lost a decision to him the night before. But there was a picture of me on the cover of the sports section of the Indy Star knocking out the Detroit Golden Gloves champion with an overhand (laughs) right, you know. And so uh, we're in having the meeting and there's five people on this panel and there's there's a, a woman on there and finally she looks at me and goes, Tell me why you have two black eyes. She really was un- unhappy. Why you I said, ma'am, I'm the Indiana middleweight champion. I've been fighting in the national golden glove tournament. Well, it's you know, this getting a lot of coverage in the news and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they go, Oh my gosh And they were very impressed by that mm-hmm. and then I learned about a week or two later that I had gotten the pardon from Governor uh, Otis Bowen had granted me a pardon. Hmm. So then I applied to the police department and got hired on the same police department that arrested me when I was 18 years old. This
0: podcast is being sponsored by the folks at Game Show Network. Game Show Network is dedicated to creating family-friendly, fun programming that's right for everyone. They've got great shows, morning, noon, and night, and their afternoon block of original programs from 4 to 8 are the kinds of play-along, laugh-along shows that you can watch no matter who is in the room. Great to share with your kids or your grandkids. It's the kind of entertainment that will have everyone shouting their answers along with the television as they all watch the same screen. And these days, we know it's tough to get everyone to agree on well, just about anything. If you're looking for entertainment that the whole family can enjoy together, the answer is Game Show Network.
1: Pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, that's uh, kind of a, a great thing, Bill. And I thought... Now, when did you run for prosecutor first? That was in 1994. So we're now we're talking 1979. So that mm-hmm. was 79. I ran for prosecutor in 94 because... I got hired at the police department and I thought boxing was going to be my ticket. And it, it was, but it was the education that the getting, I got the, the education. I became a police officer. I was a patrol officer for six years. I continued to go to school, got my master, uh, my bachelor's degree, got a master's degree and then went to law school while I was still a, a detective at the Anderson police department and was voted officer of the year of that department by a, by the majority of the officers on the department. <laughs> Same police department that I got arrested by. is pretty crazy. I spent nine years as a detective working most of the homicides and crimes of violence and had really good success and then was still going to law school and graduated from law school in December of 1990 from Indiana University Law School. Uh, that's, a, that's an amazing story, Rodney. You, uh,
0: you know, we, we everybody loves a story of redemption. <laughs> You know, we get criticized this country gets criticized a lot, but it does have a great heart for people. And we're all in this category in one way or the other, for people who make mistakes. And if you make mistakes, you has got to be some way to correct the mistake, learn from your mistake, and become better because of the mistake. And I run with you now. When did we first meet?
1: It's a good question, Bill. So I'm I'm guessing uh I'm try I tried to remember that a couple of times but it was in the early 90s I think. Uh yeah. 91 or 2 or something like that. It was so before 1819. Well, that's longer than that isn't it, Bill? 20, oh, yeah. Is that? Yeah. Oh, that's more okay. like that, 20 some something. 20, 20, 20, yeah. Yeah, 20. I know the years go by for you. Yeah, I majored in English, Not, <laughs> not math, right? Yeah, I think it's 25, 26, 27, something like that. I don't I don't know.
0: You know, uh the the Bible talks a lot about love, 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 love. But also talks about justice, and justice is a very, a very, mm-hmm. very important part. I think one of the hardest things for people to understand is the tension between the fact, Gloria and I wrote a song one time with uh, Kim uh, Williams and my son called Somewhere Between Jesus and John Wayne. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the tension of saying uh, enough is enough. And, you know, and having force to simply say, no, you can't go any farther." That's real tension. And you and I have had so many different discussions over cups of coffee when you have said, but Bill, there are times when you've got to say, stop. That's, you know, that's enough. And and I guess that's where justice
1: comes in. Yeah. In my relationships. You know, Bill, I would say I'm not uh a— I'm not a religious person. I had a lot of... Uh, I think you're a spiritual person. I, I agree with that. I agree. I'm, I'm a very spiritual person, and I think that uh, spiritual people and religious people have a, had a major impact in my life. Uh, but when I was young and in those orphans' homes and foster homes, I used to be forced to go to church, and and they were people who weren't very religious but professed to be and yeah, yeah, treated mistreated. Yeah, that's always a problem. And it gave me a very negative uh, view of going to church, and, I, and I've and i tried to go to church, and I have went to church, you know, I went to Madison Park Church for a yeah. long time, and Jim Lyon was one pastor that— Good
0: friend, another good
1: friend. Another good friend, and and uh, probably about 20 years until Jim left that church, but mm-hmm. I, I used to look forward to, listen to his message, and Jim was somebody that his words had influence with me. And I've had a number of spiritual people come into my life, and it's caused me to change my view on things a little bit, but I remember one guy who is one of our friends, who was one of my mentors, mm-hmm. uh, Dennis Carroll. One, one story, here, a, a sharp difference between where I was and where he was. Uh, early on when I first came in contact with him in the early 80s, and I was still in my 20s, still thinking I'm a fairly tough guy, yeah. and <laughs> I probably was, but <laughs> I usually settle things with my fists, you know. And his son, David, who now is an Anderson police officer, we were at Indianapolis Indies baseball game, and he went into the restroom and a couple of guys stole his money from him, mm-hmm. and uh, he comes back out and he goes, "Where are they at?" He was crying, "Where are they at?" So we go over and confront him, and and uh, Dennis says, "Gentlemen, it's not right for you to be taking money from me," you know. And they're like, "Cuss!" They're cussing him out, yeah, and, me yeah, yeah. and you know. And and I listened to that for a couple of minutes, and I said, "How about if we do it this way? Give the money up, or I knock you out." <laughs> <laughs> and they're both looking at me, and I go. <laughs> we can do it that way if you want. They, they pulled the money out of their pocket and gave it, which I thought I was doing something good. He says, why did you do that? You don't ever solve anything with violence. And I'm like, thought you wanted the money back. You know? <laughs> that was the only way. He goes, they were going to give it back. No, they were going to beat you up. <laughs> you know? it's, but that's, that's an example of the tension that you're talking about, I think
0: the tension has never left peter in the garden the first thing he did was pick up a sword and cut off the guys uh, you know cut off the guys ears mm. it was tension then it is still tension today especially in the day and time when bad people are coming into places of worship with guns now realistically you know how do you deal with that But I think it comes back to how we got into the discussion of saying, Gaither, you got a strange, wide range of friends. And I I love it that way. Rodney, my life has been richer, being around you, seeing what you have come from, and seeing how far you have gone (laughs) since your beginnings. And we're all on a journey.
1: I appreciate it, Bill. You've been a huge influence in my life, too. I mean... I was not the most humble individual you'd ever run across. (laughs) And early in my life, you know, when I got as a fighter, that's the way I wanted to settle things. I knew that favored me. But then when I got elected prosecutor, uh, you know, I started my my career was on a rocket going straight up. And I was not a I mean, I was brash and I was full of myself. And I, I thought for years. That's why people like me so much. I found out the hard way that they were they liked me in spite of that, not because of that. And as I've matured and followed your model of humility, uh, I haven't had any people run against me. I haven't had an opponent in the last two elections. So people love what I do. I think they like the presentation better now than the one it used to be when I was more more brash and, and probably a little a lot more arrogant. And I've learned... To follow your model of humility and it's something that uh, i'll always be thankful for bill i
0: love my life because of the richness of the kinds of friends i have from all different walks of life you know it's interesting i'll talk to you <clears throat> about the the real world that you live in and i'll pick up the anderson herald every morning mm-hmm. and uh and, and that world has not gone away. In fact, that world is probably worse than, than, you know, than when you were growing up. And I'll talk to you about it from that perspective. And then this weekend, I'll be on a stage somewhere singing, I am loved, I am loved, I can risk loving you <laughs> for the one who knows me best, loves me most. And for the people who want to know the real Bill Gaither, that's why I, I am who I am, because
1: of the richness of friends like you. I appreciate it, Bill. And, uh, you know, I think as... You know, if I look back over the, the 25 or 27 years we've been acquainted, and I'll make two couple of observations about it. First, you're kind of a hard guy to get to know because I think you have lots of people trying to get into your inner circle. And, you know, they're pushing the door down a little too hard sometimes. <laughs> people, you know, and you're like, you know, hey, let me back off that guy a little bit i'm I'm a guy that really didn't care much for your music and and and, and, <laughs> and, and I loved it I and loved and, it. <laughs> and still don't that much but I, i've have I've been around it so so much? I've gotten to know the guys in your band really well and uh, I appreciate the quality and the, the talent they have. It's amazing. Even though I don't necessarily, you know, get up and clap when they're singing, yep, yep. the the quality of it is incredible. And they're really, really good people. I mean, that's what I like about it as much. So well, I, you've been on the bus I've been with on, us. I've been on the bus with you. I don't know how you do it all these years. I, I go out for, I've been out two or three times on the bus and I'm like, I come back on Sunday. I'm like, man, I need a vacation. <laughs> I mean, sitting in there, you know, in those bunks rolling around the country is a little rough, but it's... <laughs> It's still fun. You know, it's still a lot of fun. And you've
0: got to know four incredible guys, and and, and I am so proud of this current bunch. And I love, I love for people to say, hey, come around. Look at them. See what you think, you know. But what you see is what you get with those guys.
1: They are really good guys. But, Bill, before we go on, can I say one more thing on the redemption side she, that's kind of good? She. We didn't get to the—when pro- did I get elected prosecutor? The, the, the part that made the National Enquirer and the National News and the NBC Nightly News about all this— when I ran for prosecutor, I beat the guy who put me in jail when I was 18 years old. And I have a story unlike any prosecutor in the United States, Bill. First, I'm on the National District Attorney's Board of Directors. I'm Indiana's delegate. My 90 colleagues elected me to be their representative. So I know prosecutors across the country. Nobody competed in boxing at the level that I did. And nobody has been convicted of a felony and beat the guy who put them in jail when they were a teenager. It's the most unusual story for a prosecutor. But you know what? It gives me a lot of insight like you talk about we live in a community that has a lot of crime unfortunately you know we had four babies last year murdered to age two and under we have a lot of poverty in in anderson an awful lot of poverty Uh, of the 91 counties in indiana we're third in sending people to prison we're the 13th largest county in population we're third in sending people to prison we have a lot of a lot of poverty a lot of drug use uh, a lot of hopelessness and it comes back, unfortunately, to many. It comes back onto those children that have no ability even to, to protect themselves, and that's the world that I live in every single day. And you get to you get to live vicariously through that sometimes when you see it in the paper. And we talk, and I, I'll take you out. Some we'll drive around the street, and I'll take you out and and introduce you to guys who have been in prison. And... Well, coming
0: back from a Pacer game one night, about twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning, at a little Seven uh, Eleven store, <laughs> you said. Okay, this guy is in prison, and his father is over there, and and I I think you put both of them yeah, in prison, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and and some of the stories that come that come back to you
1: from people who have been in prison say to you what. No, they're very thankful. Appreciate you saved my life. A lot of that happens. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot. Some people just choose to live their life the way it is, and they're, they, go to, they go to prison periodically throughout their lives. I mean, but others that really want to get their life changed, I mean, they're doing drugs, they're addicted. Unfortunately, to deal with addiction, which is a huge problem in this country— when you're in that state of mind and you're doing drugs, you don't want to stop. It's it's not until you get incarcerated that people suddenly decide they want to get their life squared away. And and if they truly want to turn their life around, you know, they can. And unfortunately, incarceration does that for a lot of them. It did it for me. When I went to jail, I knew I was never going back again. That was not a place I was going to be spending my life. I knew I was done, and I cut loose all those people that were out there. Everybody I knew was committing crimes and doing drugs, and I go— that's not for me. And when these other guys came into my life, I go, I'm going to be a part of this. I don't know what it is, but you're going to have to yeah. blast me out of here with dynamite, you know. And I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can. And I talk to, you know, see poor people now, and they go, Well, you know, you don't know what it's like to be poor. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I just did something about it. I, I bled. I, you know, I, I. I did whatever I had to do to get myself in a place not to be poor anymore. And I'm not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, Bill, but I, I, I have enough financial uh, rewards in my life I can do about whatever I want to do. I live a pretty good life. It's I a great really story. Do. It's a great story.
0: Thank you for joining me for this episode of More Than The Music. For details on the Gaither Vocal Band tour dates, the latest Gaither music releases, and much more, visit us online at gaither.com. This is Bill Gaither signing off until the next edition of More Than The Music.